بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين نبينا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين أما بعد السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته اللهم انفعنا بما علمتنا وعلمنا ما ينفعنا وارزقنا علما تنفعنا به آمين رب العالمين الحمد لله ثم الحمد لله We are back to our fiqh of salah from the book Bulughul Maram and we have uh, started the new chapter was it last week on Sujudus Sahwi right on Sujudus Sahwi طيب, so we've been through a couple of ahadith we spoke about As-Sahwi the difference between As-Sahwi uh, within the Salah and regarding the Salah we said the person who is heedless of your Salah in general is blameworthy whereas the one who becomes distracted within the Salah then this is not blameworthy and he is forgiven by Allah Azza wa Jal. Um, and then we spoke about a couple of ahadith on where we saw that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallama, he made mistakes in his salah or that he forgot in his salah. At times he would add a raka'ah at times. You know, and the sahaba of course highlighted this to him. And we spoke about the different incidents that happened. So, before I move to the next hadith, I'm just going to read the last hadith because the next hadith is a lengthy hadith, but there is some uh, explanations we need to do between the two. So the last hadith that we covered was the hadith of Abu Sa'id. Remember this, it's the hadith of Abu Sa'id al-Khudri radiallahu anhu, where he said that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa said, if any one of you doubts within his salah, has a doubt in his salah, فَلَمْ يَدْرِي كَمْ أَثَلَاثًا أَمْ أَرْبَعًا And he's not sure. Did he pray three or four raka'at? He says not sure. Then what must he do? فَلْيَطْرَحِ الشَّكْ وَلْيَبْنِ عَلَى مَسْتَيْقَنَةً Then what must he do? He must put an end to the doubts. Expel the doubt. Don't pay attention to the doubt but and stick to. Proceed in his prayers based on certainty. That's what we said. So this hadith, remember, is speaking about doubts. If a person is not sure, he's a three or four, he's completely unsure. Completely unsure. So what must he then do? Khalas, block out the doubt and stick to what he's certain of. Which we said means what? We said means you take the, the lesser of the two. Which means you always take the lesser of the two. So if you are not sure, if it's three or four, you say, okay, this is the third raka'ah. And you continue based on that. And before you make salam, you will then do the sujood sahwi the two sajdas at the end of the salah. This is what we said. And that two sajdas, if he was short, he won't be short because he went back to yaqeen. But if he prayed an extra in reality, then that two raka'ahs will even out the salah. And if he prayed uh, the four as it was supposed to be, then that two raka'at we said will be... Um, it will be a defiance for the shaitan. The shaitan is the one who brought the doubts. So that two rakats will just be as like a refutation against him. Like a, a humiliation against the, the shaitan. So we move on to the next hadith. We explained that hadith last week and we ended on that. We move on to the next hadith which is the hadith of Ibn Mas'ud. Radiyallahu an. So the previous hadith was the hadith of Abu Sa'id. This is the hadith of Ibn Mas'ud. Radiyallahu an. Where he said, Salla Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallama. Falamma sallama qila lahu ya Rasulullah. Ahdatha fi salati shay. He said that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallama. He prayed with them one day. And Ibn Uthaymin explains and he says, He made dhuhr salah with them. This was regarding dhuhr salah. So we know it's of course four raka'at. And then we said to him, Ya Rasulullah, O Messenger of Allah. Has something new happened within the salah? Meaning, has something changed regarding the, the salah? Why did they ask this? Because Rasulullah when he prayed at that day or on that moment with them, he ended up praying five raka'at for dhuhr. He ended up praying five raka'at for, for dhuhr. And so the sahaba said, has something new happened? With the salah. So Rasulullah said, What 
what do you mean? You know, what's that? What's the new thing that you that you that you're talking about? So they said, Salayta kada wa kada. And they explained that you prayed like this, you know, instead of four, you prayed five. So he said, uh, uh, Ibn Mas'ud said that he changed the position of his feet. al-qibla. He then turned, turned and he faced the qibla and he prostrated two prostrations. Sajdatayn. Thumma sallama. Then he did the taslim. Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullah. Thumma aqbala alayna bi wajhihi. And then he turned to face us. Again. Which part? Um, after they spoke to him, he, he firstly, it says that he changed the position of his feet. And I'm going to explain each of these points. Then he faced the Qibla, then he did two prostrations, and then he did the Taslim. Salama. First the two prostrations. First the Qibla, then the two sujuds or sahwi. Then he did the salam. And then he turned to face us once again, Ibn Mas'ud says. And then the Prophet وسلم, said to them, شَيْءٌ بِهِ He said, had anything changed with regards to the salah, if anything new came about, I would have informed you of that. I would have informed you of that. وَلَكِنْ إِنَّمَا أَنَا بَشَرٌ مِثْلُكُمْ أَنْسَى كَمَا تَنْسَوْنَ But he says, I am only a man just like you are. And I forget, just like you forget. فَإِذَا نَسِيتُ فَذَكِّرُونِي So when I forget, or if I forget, then remind me. Then remind me. وَإِذَا شَكَّ أَحَدُكُمْ فِي صَلَاتِهِ فَلْيَتَحَرَّ الصَّوَابَ فَلْيُتِمَّ عَلَيْهِ ثُمَّ لِيَسْجُدْ سَجْدَتَيْنِ then he said, and if any of you doubts within his salah, then let him, um, let him try and make sure of what he had done. Let him try and try his best basically to remember, uh, to remember what he did. And then let him complete the salah and then let him do two prostrations. That's the wording of the hadith. It's in Bukhari and Muslim. In the version of Bukhari, it says, Let him complete the salah, then do the salam, the taslim, and then do prostration. And the version of Muslim says that the Prophet وسلم, he prostrated two sajdatain of sahwi after the salam, Wal kalam and speaking. طيب, so we go through the explanation of the hadith. We understand what has happened. He prayed Dhuhr five rakaat. They asked him after the salah was done, had anything changed? Now remember again, this is during the time of Wahi, which means at times things were changing. Naskh was still prevalent, which means abrogation. Things were taken out of the Sharia, and at times things were added to the Sharia. Abrogation took place. Hence, this question was a valid question. Today, we can never ask a question like this. Has things changed in the Sharia? Is there something new? Is something taken out? Can't happen anymore because Rasulullah sallallahu has passed away. This was only valid in his lifetime. Um, so he said, what, what do you mean? Yani, what, what has changed? So they said, you prayed like this? Yani, you've prayed five raka'at. Um, so he changed the position of his feet. What does this mean? This means that he went back to the way that he was sitting in the salah, in the tashahud. So for example, if it's tawarruk, he went back to sitting like that. Understand? So he, he went back to the way that he was seated in the tahiyat, basically, in the final tashahud. Understand? Um, and then he turned to face the qibla. He turned to face the, the Qibla and then immediately he did two prostrations. Fasajada sajdataini, did two prostrations for Sujudu Sahwi, Summa Salama, and then he did the Taslim. So what we notice here is 
that the taslim was done when? After the two prostrations. The taslim was done when? After the, the two prostrations. Sorry, what am I saying? Uh, what we notice here is that the sujood, the prostrations, let me repeat this again. What happened here is, he did the sujood after the initial taslim. Right? Why? Because he didn't know that he made a mistake. Remember what we said last week is, if you add to the salah, then you have to do sujood sahwi, but it will be done when? After the salam. Remember this principle? If you add to the salah, the sujood sahwi must be done after the salam. And if you deduct or take away or miss something within the salah, then the sujood sahwi has to be done before the taslim. What the Prophet did here was is he added a rak'ah. But yet he did the sujood when? After the taslim. Why? Because in this instance it's different. Why is it different? Because he didn't know that he made a mistake. Right? Obviously he was, they only informed him afterwards. So this doesn't mean that uh, it's okay to do it after the taslim. The sujood. This was done out of necessity because he had no idea that he added the rak'ah. But if you know that you added something, then, then you make sure that you do the sujood when? After the taslim. After the taslim. Understand? Yes? If you added something. And if you've forgotten, so you um, perform lesser. Do you say you forgot the raka'ah and you greet and the jamaat reminds you? Did you, did you still do the salim? I mean, the you first stand up because you missed the rak'ah so you first you have to get up make sure you go you finish that rak'ah then when you finish again you're going to go back to the tashahud do the tashahud and then you do the taslim no 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 then you do the sujood and then the taslim yes because you left it out understand So he says in this hadith, فَإِذَا نَسِيتُ Then remind me. He said, if I forget, then remind me. Right? The, Ibn Uthayim says, this is from the, again, the humility of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. We see a lot of it in this hadith. He said, I'm a man just like you, and I forget just like you. Not just that, if I forget, you must make sure you remind me. Don't leave me because I'm the messenger of Allah. Remind me. If I make a mistake, you remind me. If I forget something, you make sure to remind me. And even Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, we saw the same humility from him. When he became the Khalifa, he gave a khutbah. His first khutbah. And in the first khutbah that he gave, he said that if I am in istaqamtu, he says if I am upon guidance basically, if what I'm doing is correct, if you see what, what's from me that, that's proper and correct, then help me, then be with me and assist me. And if you see deviance from me, you see me making a mistake, going, you know, astray, فَقَوِّمُونِي Then, rectify me. Don't just let me go because I'm the Amir. Don't just listen. If you see me going wrong, then rectify me. And this should be the way of, of any believer. Nobody's above rectification. Unasiha. Understand? So we saw this even from the best of the best. From Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and even from his first khalif, um, Abu Bakr al-Siddiq, radiyallahu an. وَإِذَا شَكَّ أَحَدُكُمْ فِي صَلَاتِهِ فَلْيَتَحَرَّ الصَّوَابَ He says that if any of you doubts within his salah, then let him try his best to remember um, mostly what he did. He should try his best to remember what he did. Right? Now, what did the hadith in Abu Sa'id say? The previous hadith that we spoke about. What did that hadith say? That hadith said, if you doubt, then stick to what you know. Expel the doubt and stick to what is certain. What does this hadith say? If you have doubts in the salah, try your best to remember where you were, where you went wrong, what you did in the salah already. Try your best. Understand? 
So there's a slight differentiation here in this hadith and the previous hadith. And this is why we highlighted the first hadith again to remind us of that first hadith. That hadith said, expel the doubt and stick to certainty. What you know you have already done. This hadith says, try your best to remember what you've done. There's a slight difference here. Okay? And now Ibn Uthaym is going to go and explain the difference in the, the two. So first of all, he starts with this hadith over here, which says, uh, which means, try your best to remember what you have done. And if you cannot remember anything, if you cannot come to any conclusion, you are still completely uncertain and unsure, then we go to the hadith of Abu Sa'id. Then we go to the hadith of Abu Sa'id and we expel the doubt and we stick to what is certain. Understand? And we're going to touch on that issue again later on <laughs> in the Sharh. Yes, Abu Sa'id. And we're going to explain that in detail again. Okay? So another difference between the two is the hadith of Abu Sa'id, when did he do the salam? Before the, when did he do the sujood? He did the sujood before the salam. Okay, why is this? Why did he do it before? And in this hadith he did it after. Because um, he went back on strategy. Right? So in that hadith there, in that hadith there, it wasn't, he didn't go back to certainty. In that hadith, he just gave advice. He said, if you have doubt, then stick to certainty and do the two salam, and do the two sujood and then the salam. But that hadith there is for the person in complete doubt. He has no idea whether he's added or subtracted or where he is. So if this is your case, you, you don't know, then you do the salam, you do the sujood sahwi at the end as, as, as we said, like a safety precaution. So that if you missed out, that will cover. And if you're adding, that will cover. Understand? In this hadith here, he did it at the end because he didn't know that he added at all. He didn't know that he added at all, so they told him you added. Hence, he did the sujood after. You understand? Taib. Um, we go through some of the benefits of the hadith. Some of the benefits of this hadith. He says that if a person adds to the salah and he prays five instead of four, um, or three, four instead of three for maghrib, or three instead of two for fajr, for example, and he doesn't know, he doesn't know that he added until he does the taslim, he completes the salah, then somebody informs him that you added a rak'ah. What must he then do? He must immediately make sahwi. He must immediately go down and do the sujood sahwi. Right? And then do the, uh, the sujood sahwi. Yes. Um, what about a person who prays and he has doubt in his salah? Then in the last rak'ah, in the tashahud, he realize, the doubt goes away. This happens also. Sometimes you're unsure. But then you realize, I did make that tahiyat. You know, I am actually in the, I am in the fourth rak'ah. So you realize what? That your salah is correct. Sometimes this happens. Sometimes the doubt comes. And then later on it goes away. You, you get some clarity. Right? So what does he do? He had doubt and it went away. Does he still do the sujood sahwi or not? Right? The scholars actually differ on this issue. Some of them say he has to do it. Others say he does not have to do it. Why? Because he knows that his salah is proper. That's why. Because he knows what he has done is sahih. The doubt went away and he didn't add anything. He didn't subtract anything. Then he should stick to that. And there's no sujood required. And what about the hadith of Abu Sa'id? Where he says when you have a state of doubt, 
penjuri um, sujudu sakwi because it defies the devil. Right? But that is if you remain in doubt. This hadith says this 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 issue is, is, is slightly different because the doubt goes away. And you realize that what you are doing is, is proper. You understand? So there's various ways your doubt can be removed. So if that doubt is removed and you, you become certain that what I'm doing is correct, I am in the right raka'ah, then you continue and you finish up and there's no sahwe required. But if you stay in doubt, you are completely unsure, then we say, block out the doubt, go back to what you are certain of, meaning the lesser of the two, and then you finish up. Before you finish, make the sujudu sahwi, which covers up for any fault, basically, right? But if the doubt goes away, then inshallah you don't need a sujudu sahwi. If you did do the sujudu sahwi, no problem, inshallah. Okay, another, the second point of benefit the Sheikh mentions is that sujudu sahwi li ziyada, which is if there's an addition that's added to the salah, will be done after the salam. Right, we explained this already. So judu sahwi for something added to the salah will be done after the salam. And he uses this hadith as an evidence as well because Ya Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam added and he did the sujudu sahwi um, after the salam as well. Although he goes to a long argument here, people could say, but he didn't know he added and so forth. The, the, at the end he says, had it been different, you would have said, you would have clarified. Because remember the Prophet, whatever he does is going to be imitated. So had it not been the case, he would have clarified that um, it, you can do it before. But nothing was clarified, hence we stick to what he did. And what he did was is, he made the sujudu sahwi um, after the salam, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. So that's the principle that we stick to. If you add it, do it after. If you subtract it from the salah, like the tahiyyat for example, the first one you left it out. Do it when? Before the salam. And that was another hadith that we dealt with last week. He left out the tahiyyat, the first one. And therefore, to make up for it, he did the sujudu sahwi before the salam. Because it was something left out of the, of the salah. Um, other benefits of the hadith, he mentions the, the, the adab of the sahaba, the way they spoke to the Prophet has anything been added? They didn't say to him, you made a mistake. You know, the choice of words is something to learn from. They said, has anything been added to the salah? So forth, is something to reflect over. Another point of benefit is that the Prophet can forget. As he forgot in this instance and in many other instances as well. He, he can forget at times, as he is an insan, he's a bashar, he's a human being. Another benefit of the salah is that if you add it to the salah out of forgetfulness, it does not nullify the salah. If you add it to the salah due to forgetfulness, salah is still valid. Right? You just have to make the two at the end after the salam as if it wipes out that addition. It's as if it wipes out that addition. Um, another point that the Sheikh mentions is the Imam of the salah. When he's done, he's supposed to face the congregation. Right? I think we spoke about this before. When he finishes the salah, he's supposed to face the congregation. How do we get that from this hadith? Because he had to turn back around. And this proves that he turned around. So this is definitely an established sunnah. When the imam is done, he should first say, Astaghfirullah, 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 Allahumma anta salam, aminka salam, tabarakta jalali wal ikram, then turn around. And then he faces the congregation and makes the rest of his adhkar. Understand? In this instance, the Prophet did this. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And then, after they spoke to him, he had to turn back around, face the Qibla once again. And then, um, complete the salah. Tayyib, another benefit the Sheikh mentions is, it's obligatory for the ma'moon, the ma'moomin, those behind the imam to warn him or to let him know that he made a mistake. To let him know that he, he made a mistake. 
And the Sheikh says here, even if it's in Tilawat al-Quran, you're allowed to rectify him. And the other hadith says, if I forget, then you must what? Remind me, rectify me. The Prophet said to the Sahaba. Okay. It depends on the mistake. So, firstly, uh, regarding the rectification, I wouldn't say he has to do sujood as we know. Because he hasn't um, nullified the salah. And, and for the person who wants the masjid, um, um, a man made a dua after the, um, after the Fatiha. He thought it was Al-Quran. I think he mentioned this. Made a dua? Yeah. He recited the dua instead of Quran. He thought the dua that he's reciting was part of Quran. Okay. Uh, so in that instance, does he do sujood as Because the, the, um, it's not far to recite any no, it's not. Um, that, that day there was a disagreement in the masjid and then one of the Muslims said, no, let's make salah over. So everybody performed the salah over. Mm. You don't have to make salah over. Is the sahwi required? Allah knows best. To, uh, to safety, you could do it. To be safe, you could do it, but to repeat the salah would not be required. Um, because also he did it jahilan. He did it out of ignorance. And there's no punishment for the person who does something out of ignorance. So in that case there, um, it, would be fa- it would be valid the salah. There's no re- need to re- repeat the salah. As in sujood sahwi Allah, Allah A'lam. Regarding the recitation of salah, do you, when do you rectify him? If he makes a mistake, like in Tarawih, you find it often, Imam forgets, or sometimes even in the salah, if he recites somewhere else and he... If he forgets, you can rectify him. That's mustahab. It's not actually found. It's mustahab. Why? Because what he's reciting is mustahab. As you said, the, the recitation after the Fatiha is not fard. It's mustahab. It's recommended. So if he makes a mistake there and you, and you rectify him, that's also mustahab. Understand? But if he makes a mistake in the Fatiha, which is not mustahab, it's a rukun. It's a pillar of the salah. It must be done and must be done properly. If he makes a major mistake in the Fatiha where he changes the meaning of the Fatiha, then you can, then you must rectify him. You must stop him and rectify him. He must go back and repeat that ayah. The Ibn Uthaymin gives an example and he says, instead of saying, Ihdina, he says, Ahdina. Instead of saying, Ihdina, Surat al-Muslimins, guide us, he says, Ahdina. Ahdi is different to Ihdi. Ahdi is from the word Hadiya, which means gift us. Ihdi means guide us. Understand? He's changed the meaning now. So therefore, in, in a case like this, you have to rectify him. Um, whereas if he changes it, you know, people make tajweed mistakes. People make pronunciation issues. That we don't have to worry about. Right? That, that is still acceptable. In terms of the salah, it's still valid. But he shouldn't be changing the meaning in terms of his recitation. By changing the words and so forth. Then we have to repeat. Uh, then we have to. Um, rectify him in this. Right? Because that can actually nullify the salah. That can nullify the salah, especially regarding the um, the fatiha. Another question that the Sheikh mentions is, what about somebody who's not part of the salah? But he's sitting in the masjid, or he's sitting in the lounge, and people are making salah, and the imam makes a mistake. Can he warn the imam? Even though he's not part of the salah, he's sitting there. Right? Can he also rectify the imam? Or warn the imam that you missed something? You know, you you need to go back, or understand? (coughs) Is it permissible or not? Some of the scholars say it's not permissible because it's not his affair. He's not part of the worship, so he must keep quiet. Other ulama said, it's permissible, because he's helping them. You must assist one, one another in righteousness and taqwa. So it's the same thing. If you see someone taking wudu incorrectly, it's not your worship. But you tell him, you, you missed something. You know, If you see him using water, that's najis. You're going to warn him. The same if you see him make a mistake in the salah, you warn him. You can tell him. And he will have to go back and... Fix it if you notice the mistake clearly. Then inshallah it's permissible for you to um, to warn him of his mistake. Right? To warn him of 
his mistake. Now the next benefit the Sheikh mentions is الرجوع إلى غلبة الظن عند الشك. So in the Sharia, we've got five levels of perception that we refer to. Five levels of perception. Level number one is called Yaqeen. Level number one is called Yaqeen. Okay? Five levels of perception. Level number one is called Yaqeen. What does Yaqeen translate to? Certainty. So that means what? You are 100% certain about something. That's Yaqeen. Understand? So if I ask you a question and I say to you, um, have you prayed Maghrib tonight? Did you? You did? How sure are you? That's Yaqeen. Right? That's Yaqeen. Did you take Wudu before that? You prayed with Wudu? Doubt or no doubt? No doubt. That's Yaqeen. Right? Another simple question could be, um, how many salah is there to be prayed during the day? That's Fard. Two. During the whole day. Okay, five. Do you have any doubt over that? That's Yaqeen, right? That's Yaqeen. You sure there's no doubt? No twos in there. That's Yaqeen, okay? I expected a straight answer. Anyways, that's Yaqeen. We have no doubt. So we are 100% certain, okay? That's level number one. Level number two is what we call Dhan. In Arabic, what we call Dhan. Translate this to English, I would use the word confidence or confident. Confidence or confident. Okay? Um, this is when you are what? 80% sure. You're 80% to 90% sure. You're confident, but you're not yaqeen. You don't have yaqeen. Understand? You are 80% sure, 90% sure, maybe even 75% sure. But you are what? You're more than confident that you, upon what you are saying, what you believe. Understand? This is not yaqeen. It's different. It's confidence. Um, and actually, most issues we'll find in the deen, especially in the fiqh, the ulama rely on confidence. Because sometimes there's ikhtilaf. One scholar says this, another scholar says that, another scholar says that. So we follow this view. How sure are we that this view is the best view? Can we say we are always 100% certain? Sometimes, depending on the evidence, and other times we would say we are 80% sure. No, it's a, it's a, this is what we call one. This is what we call confidence. Understand? We're confident that that's the correct view. Confident about it. Simple example. Um, uh, when we go down into Ruku, we dealt with this issue. Sorry, not Ruku, it's Jude. Do you go down on your hands or your knees? Right. So we said knees, right? Some weeks back we discussed it. We said that seems to be the correct view. Was that said out of certainty or confidence? More leaning, definitely confident. There's definitely no certainty on the issue. And then we went back and forth between the arguments of the scholars, you know. This one says that. And then he responds by saying this, and this one says that. But the camel, how the camel goes down, and all the arguments that they come up with. One scholar even said, this issue just makes you tired. Right? This issue just tires us out because it's, it's actually a small issue. It's not a major thing. You know, we want to do the, the, the best thing, but you understand, it's a, all this back and forth. For not a major issue, another group of scholars said, you do whatever's easiest for you. Either one, both is fine. You know? So those issue, type of issues, and there are many issues like that, the scholars, when they come to a conclusion, it's based on confidence, not yaqeen, not certainty. Because there is no conclusive evidence, right? That makes you 100% certain. Like when I asked you, What's the ruling on zina? Is zina halal or haram? Are you 100% certain or is that confidence? 
We have no doubt over that issue. Clear cut. No doubt. But when it comes to other issues, then the, you know, now you start to see. Could be this, could be that. This comes in, another issue, this, you know. Now we, the, these are the issues that, that with the ulama, they judge with confidence. They look at evidences. They weigh up the evidences. When they get to their conclusion, it's based on dhan or ghalabat al-dhan which is a strong influence or strong confidence, strong high level of confidence, right? The third level is of perception is what we call shak, which is doubt. Shak in Arabic. Sheen kaf. Sheen kaf. Shak. Sheen kaf. This is doubt. Doubt is when you are 50-50. You're not sure at all. Am I in the third raka'ah or the fourth raka'ah? I have no idea. I am just confused. This is shak. Understand? This is what we call shak. The next level is what we call waham. Waham. So shak is confused, Shak is doubt. Um, waham. Waham is the third, fourth level. Waham is the fourth level. Fourth level. Which is the opposite of dhan. So you are uh, 25% sure. 20% to 25% sure. That's waham. And the fifth level is jahal. Jahal is ignorance. That's you, you absolutely have no idea. You just don't know anything about the issue. Right? That's, so these are actually perceptions of knowledge. If you look at an issue, Study an issue. How well do you know this issue? Either you know nothing about it. I know nothing about this issue at all. That's what we call what? Jahal. It's ignorance. We don't know anything. Lack of knowledge. Level number two is waham. You are you know a very little bit. Waham, yes. So just working from the bottom up. Waham, right? Which is you know very little to nothing. But you you you. Your lack of knowledge is more than, your, than what you know. The third level, or the middle level, is shak. You're not sure. You know a little bit here, there. You're unsure. Is it halal or haram? Is it, you don't know. You, you're in the middle. You, you really don't. Uh, you're unsure, but you, doubt, you have doubt. The fourth level is where you have one. You're pretty sure. You're confident in your opinion that you're following. And the, fifth, the highest level, the first level is Certainty or ilm. It's called yaqeen or ilm. Yaqeen is certainty, ilm is knowledge. 100% knowledge. That's the highest level. So, yes? Huh? So, the benefit that the Ibn Uthaymin is coming to here is that this hadith, he's bringing out of this hadith and extracting this benefit that we can refer... Sorry, to dhan in matters of fiqh. We can refer to, matter, to, to dhan, to that level of confidence and surety in matters of, of fiqh. And in this hadith, what is the evidence in this hadith for this? The Prophet sallallahu he said, فَلْيَتَحَرَّ sawaba. He said, try your best to remember what you did. Understand? And then build on that, he basically said. Then complete your salah. Then complete your salah. So what this teaches us is what? That we can rely on confidence even though we are not 100% sure and certain. Even though it's not yaqeen. But you're more or less convinced you are convinced that of something, you can follow that thing. But it's not what? Yaqeen. Tayyib. An example here then is what? If a person is praying salah, he's not sure. Is this my third or my fourth raka'ah? Is this the th- second or the third raka'ah? He's not sure. Right? But he's got dhan. He's inclined 
and he feels quite surely, but not 100% surely, that this is the fourth rak'ah. Then what can he do? He can stick to the fourth, and that is the fourth rak'ah. If he is sure to an extent that this is the third rak'ah, and not the second, and not the second, then this is the third rak'ah for him. Then this is the third rak'ah for him. Understand? So Ibn Uthaymin says, if he in his mind, he thinks this is the fourth rak'ah, then that he will make that the fourth rak'ah. So remember now, there's a difference here now between a person who has shak and a person who has dhan. So if you are in that, that position and you have shak, which means you don't know. First or second, or third, it can't be first. It's either second or third or third or fourth. So you're confused. Right? If, this, if that's the case, if we go back to which hadith? Abu Sa'id. Which means, I'm not sure I'm going to go to the lesser of the number. Because I have absolutely, I have, there's no rajih. Which means, there's no, there's no uh, preponderant view. If you were to weigh up the two views, third or fourth, right? Which one is, is, is heavier on the scale? There's, I don't know. I'm in the middle, 50-50. Then we say, go to the lesser one. Understand? But if there is a rajih, if there is a preponderant view, which is third or fourth, but I really think it's the fourth. I think it's the fourth, but I have a little bit of doubt. Right? So the third, in my mind, I'm thinking fourth. I'm 70% sure, 75% sure. This is what we call Van. And I have 30% doubt, 25% doubt. But it could be the third. You understand? What do we do then? We go with Van. You weighed up the scale. This one, I'm, most, I'm, I'm inclined to this view. I'm inclined that it is the fourth rak'ah. I go to the fourth rak'ah. This comes, brings us to which hadith? Ibn Mas'ud. Ibn Mas'ud. So the hadith of Abu Sa'id is regarding the doubter, 50-50. Doesn't know. The hadith of Ibn Mas'ud is about the one who has فَلْيَتَحَرَّ sawab. You should try to remember. If you can remember, stick to that. Which is one. It's your confidence. If you cannot remember, you are a person of shak, go back to the lesser of the two. And stick to that. Then make your two sujoods before the salam, as in the hadith of Abu Sa'id. And if you do remember, stick to what it is. And then complete the salah. And then pray the two sujoods when? After the, the salam. Based on this hadith of Ibn Mas'ud. Pray the two sujoods when? After the salam. Understand? So that is a whole different issue we went into now, the perception issue. But that is applicable. We use this in the Sharia. Many times we use this. Um, yaqeen, shak, udhan, and so forth. Right? Waham, you don't act upon waham. Shak, you don't act upon shak. And jahal, obviously, you don't act upon jahal. But we act upon the first two. Yaqeen and dhan. We can act upon that. Because you're certain or you're fairly certain. Are they certain? Well, you're fairly certain, you're confident. You can act upon that in this case. So this perception of the family was a perception that is literally related to a person of, that has knowledge. Am I right? Any person. No, I mean, a person of knowledge. What happens is if a person refuses to accept knowledge or to, uh, to attain knowledge. Meaning, what do you, what do you mean? Say, for example, we've got jahad. Right. Right? Jahad is ignorance. Correct. But ignorance, um, uh, not because of lack of knowledge. Ignorance because you are just totally, you don't know. Right? So it's both. Make salah, I'm just making this I'm just mm. an example. You make salah. Now you're totally um, um, unsure where you are. Right. Right. Um, but what happens if the person that refuses to seek how to make salah? What do you mean you're unsure where you are? No, what I mean is like, for example, like Sheikh said, okay, um, Don will apply most, is it Don, confident 80 to 90 percent, then we'll apply, um, is it shut 50 to 50 or doubt, um, and then you're just totally confused, you're just totally ignorant. 
of your salah. Meaning you don't make salah? No, 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 no. You make salah. how can you be totally of the position? Okay, now just explain the term jahul again, Sheikh. In salah, ignorance in salah, maybe I must understand. In salah? Yeah. It, it won't apply in a matter like this. It won't apply in a matter. Like we said, if you're not sure, third or fourth raka'ah, you can't say it's jahl. This will be shak. Because you're 50 50. It's third or fourth. Third so, or fourth. So ignorance is like jahliya. That's ignorance. Ignorance means you don't know. You've got no knowledge at all. Okay, so You've got no, nothing on the table. What do you mean by on the particular issue, you you have no idea, so it won't apply in the middle of the salah. No, you can't no. have, have have ignorance no, in the middle of the salah in, in, a, in a matter where you where you unsure. No, that's where I'm getting confused now. So, so jahal in a state of salah, right? Yeah. Um, so there's ignorance of the salah. You know salah, but it's still this ignorance in it. Look, so there will be the, certain issues which he hasn't studied, he hasn't learnt. Right? But that's now uh, okay, different to, to what we are okay. speaking about in this so context. For example, um, he didn't know that um, <coughs> that uh, the thing of a wajib. He didn't know that you can't replace the Quran with a dua. For example. He didn't know you can't, instead of making reading Quran, he read some dua. Random dua, not from the Quran. Right? That's, we say it's not permission to do that. Right? But that's jahal. Because he didn't know. That's lack of knowledge. But let's say you came there, or someone else came there, and you, and you think to yourself, I wonder if I can recite a qasida instead of Quran. That's so, that's not ignorance. That's doubt. Because you're now 50 50. Can I, can't I? Ignorance means you just recite it. You just come there and you recite Allahumma a'inni ala dhikrika wa shukri wa the salah, for example. Allahumma anta rabbi la ilaha illa anta khalaqtani wa ana abduk as a surah of the Quran. That's ignorance because he had no zero knowledge. That that is not part of the Quran. But you came there knowing it's not part of the Quran, but your issue is what? Can I recite it or not? So you're stuck between two issues. Yes or no? That's 50-50. That's shak. Yes or no? But you say so you don't have any solid knowledge of it. Quran is certainty, yes, or most certainly no. You are thinking about it. Jahan means he has no idea. No, there's no, there's no choice, man. There's no between two things, man. That is shak, with this between two. Can I, can't I? It's permissible, it's not permissible. Halal or haram? Do you understand? It's good or bad. That's shak. Jahan means he has no idea. So let's take, um, let's take an issue like selling cigarettes. Selling cigarettes, right? The ruling is it's haram. Okay? Selling cigarettes is haram. But people are doing it. Certain people may know it's haram, they still do it. They are sinners. Because their level of perception of them issue is what? It's either yaqeen, they know, or they have, they're quite certain, they know in the back of their mind. So for them, that's the level of perception of the issue. Other people will be doubtful. In the back of their mind, something's telling them, but they also don't know for sure. So they're 50-50. Is it haram or not? Right? And then you get others who have no knowledge of the Sharia. They're Muslims. But they have no knowledge. So for them, anything, they sell anything. They'll sell it. Because to them, it's, I need to make money. So they have zero knowledge that it's haram. That's jahal. That's jahal. If, if there was 25% in the back of his mind, it could be haram. But 75% of his mind is telling him, that is halal, man. But there's 25% telling him or 20% telling him what? It's haram. That's waham. Just a question regarding jahal, right? So that's to the person of ignorance. If you, um, if you 
um, refuse to attain knowledge? Yeah, that's a that's a very important question. I know where you're going with the question. I'm just asking this. So, I mean, usually we say the normal rule is that if you do something out of ignorance, then you are not blameworthy. There's no sin upon you. Because of this ayat and a hadith about it. Right? The person who does something ignorantly, not knowing it's haram, there's no sin upon him. Right? But now the issue obviously is that if knowledge is available, if knowledge is being taught, if you could have found out, and you knew you should find out, and you were able to find out, before you jumped into the issue, and you didn't find out, you didn't bother. You didn't bother to find out, you just went ahead. This can become blameworthy. Understand? So would that be the same hadith like the Nabi Muhammad when one of the Sahabis was injured regarding the wudu? Then he did a ghusl. And he died. Yes. He says, um, you have killed him, may Allah kill you. So that was like that's Jahannam. He said to them, he was as Jahannam, right? But he said to them, only Allah knows who's going to Jahannam. And remember, they were also Sahaba. They made a mistake. That what they did was out of ignorance, right? But he, he responded to them by saying, you killed this man because you passed the fatwa. They told him to, he must go do it. He had a head injury and they said you must still do it. Because that's all they knew. Right? And then the man died because of that. And he said to them, you have killed the man, may Allah kill you. Okay? And then he said that the cure for the ignorance one, or the cure for ignorance is to ask. The, the medicine or the cure for ignorance is to ask. So, you see, this is a different issue actually. Because this is a fatwa. This is a person answering, a, telling, him some, telling somebody to do something. You know, Islamically, this is the hukum. He's passing a ruling, like a mufti, like a big alim. But he didn't actually know the proper <coughs> issue. You understand? So we won't say they're in jahan. They, Allah could have forgiven them. You understand? I mean, they could have probably made tawbah, the sahaba, they would have made tawbah on the spot. You understand? Um, but the lesson is for us. It's not to worry about where they ended up. Most likely they made tawbah. But the point for us is, number one, if you don't have knowledge, keep quiet. Keep quiet. Don't speak without knowledge. That's the most important thing. That's the most important thing. Speaking without knowledge in Islamic issues is a major, major sin. And that hadith is one of the evidences for that. Um, over and above that, this is why we have so many ayat and ahadith that encourages us to seek knowledge. Not to remain ignorant. Because ignorance is something that is, uh, is, 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 is not something good. Okay? It's not something that you would want for yourself. Knowledge is honor. Knowledge is blessings. The more you increase upon that, the more you are blessing yourself and honoring yourself and raising your rank. Allah says in the Quran, we raise the people of knowledge. We raise all those who have been given ilm, we've raised them in darajat, in high levels, in ranks, in this world and in the akhirah. That's the tafsir of the ayah. In this world and the we raise them up. So, obviously seeking knowledge is of utmost importance. The sad reality of the ummah today is, people don't seek knowledge anymore. This is the hal of the ummah. They begin to madrasa as a kid, they grow up with a little bit of Islam that they inherit. That's it. Nobody actually wants to study anymore. Nobody actually wants to listen to lessons and attend lessons and increase in knowledge, except very few people. You understand? So yes, the general rule again is, if, if you do something by mistake, or you do something that you genuinely didn't know, you genuinely didn't know it's wrong and you did it, you'll be forgiven for that. But on the flip side, we can definitely say that if the opportunity for learning came, or you knew in the back of your mind, I should first find out. Let's take an investment, for example. Let's take an investment. Can I invest in the stocks, for, for, for argument's sake? Or what do we speak about the other day? Buying gold on the stock exchange, right? Can I do it or not? Is it valid Sharia-wise or not? 
right? Before you invest, you should ask people who know. This is how it should be. فَاسْأَلُوا أَهْلَ الذِّكْرِ إِن كُنْتُمْ لَا تَعْلَمُونَ Allah says in the Quran, ask those who know when you don't know. Ask those who know. أَهْلُ الذِّكْرِ meaning the people of, of dhikr, the people who know. People of the ulama. Ask them when you don't know. That's how it should be. So what's supposed to happen is before people act, before they speak, they should first go find out. But this doesn't happen anymore. This is the sad reality. So it could become blameworthy if you refuse to ask and you just go ahead. Well, you make your own conclusion in the back of your mind. Uh, it's probably I think it's fine. I don't see any issues and you go ahead. And you didn't ask someone else who knows better. You can be blameworthy for that. Then you can't come and say, oh, I didn't know. But you didn't make an effort to, learn, to know. Likewise, when knowledge is being taught, and the classes are available, and you make no effort to go and learn, only Allah knows what that person's affair will be when he meets Allah. Allah could take them to task and say, there were salah classes happening, five minutes away from you, on YouTube today, etc., you never bothered to learn about it. Now you come and your salah is all invalid. Whose fault is that? Did the knowledge reach you? Maybe not. But was it accessible to you? Yes, it was. Very easily. Yes, it was. Can Allah take that person to task? If Allah wants to, He can. Allah knows best. People's condition. You see? So Allah will judge those people appropriately. So He knows those who... Uh, didn't have the opportunity. Those who didn't have well, knowledge was not accessible to them. Perhaps he won't take them to task. But others that it was accessible, it was there, it was free of charge, but they had no interest. It may be that Allah takes them to task. Allah alam. This is only Allah knows. But we can understand why this could be a problem for certain people that because they turned away from ilm. They turned away from classes and knowledge, refused to go and learn. Because of this, they remain ignorant. So that's a different issue as to a person genuinely not just coming. Something happens and you didn't know. On the spot, you know, on the spur of the moment, something happened. You did something, you didn't know. You didn't have the opportunity to ask either. It just happened on the spur of the moment. Things happen. You want to travel, something happened. Okay, we had to make salah. I wasn't sure, you know. Fine, now you can find out later on, for example. But generally, before you act, you need to ask. And if... You're just living your life in ignorance without any care to go and learn and find out and study and so forth. Allah knows best, but you could be blameworthy for that because it means you've turned away from ilm. It means you have no interest. It's not to say that you just didn't know. You didn't care to learn. You didn't bother to learn. Understand the difference? So in that case, a person could be blameworthy by Allah that only Allah knows and only Allah can decide basically um, who he will punish for that or, or not. Coming back to the issue, we said, we spoke about the five uh, levels of perception and we said the first two levels you can act upon. Another example, a famous example of this is you're making tawaf and you're not sure which circuit, is it the fifth, the sixth or the seventh? Happens often. Did I make six or seven now? Am I going for my eighth? Or is this my seventh? And you're not sure. What do we do? Go back to these two hadith. Okay. So if you have doubt, now we check again. I'm 50-50, six or seven. It's Abu Sa'id. I'm 50-50, I have no idea. I can't recall. It's 50-50. Hadith Abu Sa'id. What do we do? We go to the lesser of the ones. We say, okay, this is number five. We're going to do two more and we're done. Right? If you, are, sir, if you have one, it's five or six. I really think it's six. It could be five. It could be five, but I'm, I'm, I'm six, man. I'm sure it's six, but in the back of your mind, it could be five. You know? You're 80% sure. You're 75% sure. It's number six. But there's a little doubt in your mind telling you what? It's number five. In this case, what do we do? Ibn Mas'ud, meaning? Try your best to remember and go with that. It's number six. It's number six, you do six, and you do seven, and you're done. Now, what you, uh, in Salah, you do uh, 
In Salat, but no tawaf, there will be no sujood sahwi. You carry on. You block out the doubt and you carry on. Right? Um, in the Salah, as we said, you will have to do sujood sahwi after the taslim. Right? After the taslim. According to Ibn Mas'ud's hadith. Abu Sa'id, the shak, you do it when? Before the taslim. So it's very important to. These, these, these things are beneficial to know. The, 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 the levels of perception are something beneficial in, for your general knowledge. Because you can apply it now in, in all aspects of this tawaf, it comes up. It can come up with your fasting, it can come up in your salah, often it can come up in various things. If you know these things, it's, it's shortcuts, it's tricks to, to get you out of a, a moment of difficulty. Because sometimes your shak just leads to bigger issues. You get waswasa. Then you get the uh, becomes overpowering and overcompelling waswasa. But if you got ilm, if you know how to deal with the situation, that's your way out. And you expel the shaitan also one time with it. You understand? This is the key, this is the key to, to all of that, and Allah knows best. Um, Tayyib he says, so Judas Sahwi. If we're acting upon dhan, confidence, so we're sticking to, let's say we think it's the fourth, we're going to go with that, we stick to the fourth, this, the sujood sahwi will have to be when? After the salam. Right? Like the Ibn Mas'ud will do the sujood sahwi after the salam. Um, Ibn Uthaymin mentions this as the hikmah, he says that these two, because the two things are different, the two situations are different between the shak and between the Confidence, there's a difference. Because as we said with shak, there's no preponderant one. Three or four, no idea. Three or four, can't. This is something different. Right? Whereas the other one has a preponderant one. I'm pretty sure it's number three. Or it's number four. You understand? So therefore the situation is different. Hence the Judu Sahwi will be different. Understand? For shak, before, for confidence, after the salam, for confidence, after the, um, after the salam. A question again that comes up, he says, how do we, um, what is this preponderant things that we can rely on that makes us lean towards one over the other? So let's say you're not sure, it's the third or fourth rakaah. Okay, how are you going to decide if it's one or two? How, what's going to help you decide, man? That it's the fourth, not the third. Or the third, not the fourth. So you could recall, for example, the tashahud. You could recall, I just did the tashahud. So this must be the third. Right? I don't remember standing up for the, for the fourth, and I know I did the tashahud. This must be the third. Understand? You, you reason with yourself. Or he says, you take a time period. So you can think in your mind, you're not praying for too long. This is probably the third, not the fourth. You know, you, you need to, if you are, also remember, we're not playing games. Right? It's not, you can't deceive Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah knows what you're thinking. So we obviously have to be sincere, and it's about praying properly. So if you have no uh, preponderance in, in that you, you really don't know, then just call us it's chak. Stick to the lesser one. But if there is reason to feel, okay, I really think this is the third and not the fourth, then you go with that. For whatever the, the reason may be. Or perhaps somebody's praying with you and he never stopped you. So you know, I'm in the second tashahud. He never stopped me for the third rakah. He would have stopped me. He knows about salah. For example. That's another reason. I must be in the fourth rakah. That happens often for me as well. Sometimes you're leading the salah and you're not sure. Must I go straight up for the third or am I in the fourth? Khalas, I sit for the fourth. And what happens? Nobody says, subhanAllah, at the back. Nobody stops me, so I know I'm right. I know I am in the fourth and not the third. Because those behind me, they affirm. Within the salah, they affirm for me that this is the fourth. And afterwards you can say, I made four, right? No problem. But within the salah, that helps. Do you understand what I'm saying? That backs up your, your dhan. 
your confidence that it is the fourth rak'ah, that those behind you, they never objected. Nor did they say, if somebody said, subhanAllah, then you know, your dhan was wrong. Go back to the third. And Allah knows best. <laughs> that was one hadith. That, that There was a lot of issues in that hadith. I knew we were going to take long with it. But alhamdulillah, um, what's the time? خلاص ستوب يدين وصلى الله على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين سبحانك اللهم وبحمدك شهد أن لا إله إلا أنت استغفرك وأتوب إليك